0: Well good morning, everyone. Welcome to this part of the service um, <clears throat> we have been have been talking about the kingdom of God, and as you will recall the last several messages I had just simply contrasted the values of the kingdom of God with the values of the kingdom of this world. And um, I was, wasn't was quite sure where we're going to go yet for sure. And uh, so, of course, in the meantime here, we went to Faith Builders and spent two weeks there, um, which we had an incredible time. And yeah, just a very good time uh, for both Charlene and I and uh Keith mentioned that when I get back I will probably need a month of Sundays to unload what I've learned so I'm not sure that it'll be a month of Sundays but it there it is true that that uh, the the message this morning especially I guess is is uh fairly directly related if you recall, I took the course um, the Kingdom of God by Melvin Lehman and very interesting. I uh, as you know, I've been passionate about that subject and, and so there were some things that were not necessarily new, but there were also some things that were. And so it was it was really, really good to, um, it was really good for me to sit in and, and uh, under just listen to an older man teaching on the subject. So, and by the way, I, I wanted to say, last Sunday, one of the things I was supposed to say was a big thank you to all of you for giving us the means to providing us the means to go, and also some of you gave some gifts of of money and food. Um, we Appreciate that very much. We, um, yeah, like I said, we we really value um, your support and your love. So, as I mentioned this morning, the message is uh, is fairly directly from Melvin's class, from a, from some of what we talked about in that class. Obviously, not nearly everything, but this. Topic was somewhat of a one of those light bulb moments for me, and it it probably one of the reasons it was is because it is something that I've somewhat it, personal for me. I you know, um, and it's something that I've uh, wrestled with some. And it is simply to do with the topic of authority in the church. How does that look like this morning I, I hesitated to use that word. I struggled with that a little bit yesterday. Well what I and I struggled with it simply because I you know, for myself, I that's something that I have to work with, is this whole idea of authority. And, and the definition of authority is the power to give orders or to make decisions. The power or right to control someone or something. And so, I do think it is a little strong word to use when we speak of the church. However, I'm not sure... I. I I'm not sure what else to use, and I and I've decided that I want to use it simply because it is a topic, and, and we're going to see that. But it, this whole topic is something that we are being influenced by the culture around us to do away with that, or or to to water it down, or to to use other words. And so, I chose to. Um, to to use that word and in doing so I would like to uh, we're going to we're going to look at Matthew 16 verses 13 to 20 but then for the most part we're going to look at history and I would like to make a case based more on history than I do from scripture not that scripture doesn't speak on the issue but I would like to show us how we have been, through the course of history, how we have been shaped and influenced by the events of what has taken place in history. So in doing that, I will be quoting some from the early church fathers. And I'd like to start with, before we go further, a quote from Ignatius. It says, I do not issue orders to you as though I were some great person. For now I begin to be a disciple and I speak to you as fellow disciples with me. So it's my desire this morning to, to speak as a fellow disciple with you not as someone issuing orders. Ignatius was a, a bishop um, right around the turn of the century; It would have been a disciple of the Apostle John. <clears throat> scripture we're going to look at, Matthew 16, starting in verses 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it and i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven then he commanded his disciples that they should not that they should tell no one that he was jesus the christ so this passage for me has been one of those passages where i was never quite sure exactly what to do with. What exactly does Jesus mean when he says, I will build my church on Peter? And in fact, it's this passage that, um, you know, churches like the Anglican church would turn to to support their theology of apostolic succession, meaning that it's very important that their ordained men can trace back their, their lineage, I guess, or their... All the way back to Peter. So, you know, whoever ordained me, James, would need to be ordained by a man. It was ordained by a man, by a man, man, all the way back to Peter. They get that from the scripture. Now, I never, obviously, you know, we weren't taught that. But that seems, surely, Jesus does not mean that. But if he doesn't mean that, what, what does he mean? What, what is he saying when he says that on this rock I will build my church. <clears throat> and I would like to suggest something a little different. When he says, first we need to understand that, that Peter, <coughs> the, the meaning of the word Peter is little rock. And so I wonder if we couldn't well, first of all, I wonder if what Jesus is saying to Peter, he's referring back to the confession that Peter had made, that you are Christ, the Son of the Living God. So I think we can read it saying that and Jesus says to Peter, and I say to you on this, meaning the confession, I will build my church. It's a little if uh, if I was talking to um, one of you and and I, you know I refer back to something that you've you've said previously and, and we, we know what we're talking about because it's part of the conversation And so going on into verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I don't think, I what we're going to look at this morning is not necessarily a conclusive study on this verse. And I guess um, there's, there's I, I think there's things in here that I don't understand, but what I would like to look at in this verse particularly is that there is some kind of authority given to the church. There is there's some, some kind of authority that we are given as a church based on the confession that Jesus is Christ. So I would like to, with, with, with that preface, I'd like to move on and, and look at, literally, I want to look at church history from, from, from now until today, and I'd like to see how, how this has played out and how, how what has played out shapes our understanding of how we view uh, church authority. And so we're going to start with a timeline We had Jesus is Lord in the beginning, Peter's confession. I believe that's also the beginning for us, the confession that Jesus is Lord. And then after that, we had the apostles write the epistles. This would have taken place in the years 50 to 90 or so. Um, and after that the apostolic fathers which would have been the early church fathers right after basically after the turn of the century men men that were often were disciples or men that the the, the 12 disciples would have discipled so so these men would have had a you know they would have talked with Peter and John and 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 they would have had Uh, connections that way these men would have also put together the canon, the the scriptures that we know, and and this was a process, it took some time there was, obviously we know uh, uh, books letters that are not included that we still have today these men also put together the Apostles' Creed and and basically just a short summary of of what constitutes christianity and they were also elders and 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 bishops in in their local churches and and this is what what i gleaned from from melvin's class is that historically The way we made decisions in in, in church life, or the way we viewed life, was through these three legs, or these three legs of a stool is what he called them. Um, We have scripture, the Apostles' Creed, and the teachings of the Episcopate which literally is, is the, the elders or the, the bishop. I'd like to look now at a number of quotations from these early church fathers to, to show us, uh, just to give us a little bit of an idea what they, what they believed. And the first one is from Clement of Rome. Let us honor those who have the rule over us. Now, an interesting thing about Clement of Rome, he is very likely the Clement that is mentioned in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. At the closing of Paul's letter to the Philippians, he mentions a Clement. Um, historians don't know for sure, but likely believe that that's who it was. Another quote from Ignatius, Let everyone reverence the deacons as an appointment of Jesus Christ and the bishops as Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, and the presbyters as the Sanhedrin of God and assembly of the apostles. Apart from these, there is no church. This was written by Ignatius, and as I mentioned earlier, he was a disciple of John and and was bishop of the, the church at Antioch it is necessary to abstain from all these things he had earlier been speaking of some things, being subject to the presbyters and deacons as unto God and Christ this was written by Polycarp who was also a disciple of the Apostle John and was bishop of the the church at uh, Smyrna I said that right and was also all of these men were were martyred at, at some point in their lives he who does anything apart from the bishops the presbyters and the deacons such a man is not pure in conscience, conscience. again that's from Ignatius we must rise when a bishop or a presbyter comes in Leviticus it says you will rise up before the face of an elder and you will honor the persons of the presbyter he quotes from Leviticus Cyprian was a was later in the years in, in the mid 200s he was bishop of of Carthage which was a fairly large city in northern Africa Now if you're like me when I read these it seemed to me that these men were heretics. They really exalted themselves. I mean, who would have thought that we get up and stand up when James walks in? Well, I trust that we can that we can leave our preconceived ideas and 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 see what what else we're going to look at. Um, going back to our timeline the next thing that we have happening here on the scene is Constantine and this is a big deal. Um Constantine was a Roman emperor um, beginning in the year, I believe, 309, 3, 310, right around that time. He had grown up as a uh, soldier, had worked his way up the up the ranks, had started out in at that time Rome was divided into the eastern and western parts. He had started out in the eastern part, had made some friends and enemies there was transferred later to the western uh half of rome where his father actually was um i don't think he was emperor but had a was was fairly um, prominent anyway in the western part he worked his way up became emperor of that part of rome and through a series of some bloody civil wars he conquered the eastern part of rome and rome was again one one country or whatever you want to call it in one of those battles constantine had a vision and he he saw a a cross and and through all that he converted to christianity and he 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 went into battle with this, with this, um, believing that that God is is with him, and and he won the battle, and so this permanently fixed into his mind that that his confession or whatever you want to call it was, was legitimate. He is he is a Christian, and and this and this this is a dramatic shift just earlier the emperor before him had 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 instigated one of the one of the worst persecutions from the years in the late 200s right up to about 310 had instigated some of the worst persecutions that Rome ever had done they had killed lots of people burned and just devastated christians you know, confiscated property and, and and all that. Burned church houses and and so, you know, this is in a period of about this Constantine's conversion came in the late teens, I believe. And and so we're looking at just seven, eight, nine, ten years, all of a sudden we now have a Christian emperor versus one that is persecuting. And so we can, we can see it's a it's a huge. It really is is a big deal, especially when we consider that in that time the, the church was they were having some some push and pulling about the nature of God. If you if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed does not deal with with the nature of God. It doesn't deal with Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, being crucified, rising, and it it and so there was some there, there was some they probably should have you know it needed to be dealt with but in all that there was there were some real tensions so constantine offers to host a church-wide council and he hosts he hosted it in the city of Nicaea. and he he paid for all the Bishops or all the elders to to arrive there, and they used one of his, you know, in in his palace or his, you know, government buildings, whatever. All these men, literally men that had been persecuted a few years before, are now sitting in the government buildings, and and they're they're having a church council, and and Constantine actually uh, presides over. He he sits in on on these. Uh, meetings, and what happens here is that while they they wrote up the cons- the uh, Nicene Creed, which is actually probably a better creed than the Apostles' Creed, in that it's it's actually um, a a good creed, I would say, but what happened with that is there were some men, there were a group of people that didn't, they they weren't going to, they didn't believe quite everything was done right. Well, so the emperor is involved, right? We'll, We'll just make him listen. And all of a sudden you had the state now on the side of the church and you have the, States' resources available to enforce church discipline, which is literally what happened. There was actually a uh, there was actually a group that broke off of the um, mainstream church at that time, and uh, this was a some few years later. But there, this was a group in in northern Africa. I haven't read up on this just now recently, but I forget the name. Their, their, their bishop finally actually just came, just said, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. What does the emperor have to do with the church? And and they actually splintered off of mainstream Catholicism, which is at that time really wasn't Catholicism yet, but that's what it became. And so this is a little hard for us to to get the importance of this because we are so used to denominations. I mean, we have Protestant churches, you know, Lutherans and Baptists and Methodists and we have Mennonites of every kind of strain and then we have Catholics and and we don't think about how, we don't think about that being, that's normal for us, right? Um, At this time, there was one church I mean if, if you were Christian, you were part of the church, and so there's there's we'll see this a little later, but so you didn't at this time there was no such thing as saying well I'm a part of I'm a part of the the invisible church i if I don't want to plug into a local church I, I'm just a part of the invisible church never crossed their minds because you were Christian. You were part of the church. <laughs> so, from that time on, um, Augustine came about a hundred years after Constantine, and he he was a theologian that. Um, initiated some some doctrines like the just war theory. That's that's you can trace that back to him. I mean, there was others later on that maybe polished it up a little more. But because um, basically, you know, as we've seen, the state was now enforcing church discipline, and all of a sudden, um, you know, we would we would conquer new territory, and and we would enforce these people becoming Christians. And so somehow we had to justify this with, with uh, scripture. And so um, Augustine did did a lot to that. Um, next major thing was the there was a a big schism in uh, in in the year one thousand fifty four. This is when what we now know as the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church split. Now we're not that familiar with the Eastern Orthodox Church, but in 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 some of the uh, Eastern Asian countries, this would be somewhat like Catholics are here. It's um, it's an old main. You know, it's the church that has been around for years and years and years. And so. This is kind of important in our timeline because we see the beginning of some division here, some, some major division. There had been, like I mentioned, some splinter groups before, but they, they were always by far in the minority. This actually was fairly evenly divided. And as we know, the Dark Ages were a very dark time leading up to the Reformation, um and we essentially ended up with our three-legged stool looking like this you came to god by by having a good relationship with the priest and paying your your dues to the priest in order to have your sins forgiven the canon at that time scripture was in latin the average people could not read it and there were even There were even intentional things done in order to keep it that way. The Catholic elders, bishops, pope, they were not interested in having the common people read scripture. (coughs) The next major thing on our timeline was the Reformation. And most of us are probably a little bit more familiar with the history of the Reformation because that's where Anabaptism found its roots, is in that, in, in that movement. Not going to look so much at that this morning, but um, Martin Luther was a, a Catholic um, theologian and he had some, he had some issues with, with things that, that rightly were issues. There needed to be some some reform in the church, but going through the proper channels wasn't. Uh, you know, nobody wanted to to work with him, and so we know what happened. Eventually, he he broke off him and uh, some others, which is then where, and a baptism came out of. <clears throat> but who who remembers what Martin Luther a a saying or a slogan that Martin Luther came up with. We still use it today. Just two words. Well, that, that's close. Sola Scriptura. Martin Luther did did a wonderful work. He he translated the the scriptures into a language that the common people could could read and he this this was his that that the people could read the scripture. And rather than he he did away with with all the hierarchy in in the Roman church. Um <laughs> Essentially though what happened is we got this going going forward to today and so I want to talk about that a little bit here for Protestantism today and I think this influences us which I think is why it's a big deal that we look at this but so we so we've and I mean, I know I've talked about this before but our our American history in our American culture, <coughs> excuse me, plays into this a lot. We are individualistic people and we do not care to have someone tell us what to do. We do not like authority. In, in fact, we don't have time this morning, but do some history sometime on, on the American Revolution um you know we always hear about the tea party and how about we were being taxed without um without a voice in government not necessarily all true some of the things that we learn in school if you go back and look at look at the records not necessarily all true all true benjamin franklin actually was had spent a number of years before the revolution had spent a number of years in england representing the people of of America as far as tax the only tax at the time was the tax on the tea. now (laughs) which at that time obviously was way less tax than we pay today so the you know all the the good patriotic stories that we read about in our school textbooks just just do some research but you see what's happening is that we We really, we we build a case saying that we will not be told what to do. We take care of ourselves. Why should somebody across the pond tell us what to do? In essence, we're rebels. And so this influences our church lives. Um, And and maybe, maybe more so, Protestantism, but I think we need to take a good, hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves how much has this influenced my thinking and my way of viewing, of viewing authority. We have, as Americans, uh, we have created a culture of. Um, just the society even without authority or government involved but we've created a society of of individualism so you know i get married and and i buy a nice home in a in a newer upscale subdivision and and, and we have you know we have five boys and and you know the boys go to school and we both work and and we get home at six in the evening, and there's, you know, there's this constant rush to get things done, and, and you know, we, we go to church on Sunday, and we're, we're a part of a small group, but um, you know, sometimes we don't make small group because we need to go to, you know, kids have soccer or, or something like that, and uh, you know, we, we create this, you know, in my backyard we've got privacy fences put up so that, you know, we can go back there and, and relax except that we never have time and and my house is, you know, AC cooled and I, I walk out into my garage, attached garage, and I jump in my vehicle and I open the door and I back out and I, I never need to talk to my next door neighbor who who literally is, you know, just uh, 60, 70 feet next door. Uh, we've, we've created com- whole societies of people that do not know how to relate on on a heart-to-heart level, and then we wonder why, why, why don't don't we recognize authority? Why there's issues with with rebellion and, and all that? And I'd like to use a model to show us a little bit how these, how these two extremes, so we have here the, uh, we have here two extremes. We have here the Episcopate, which is church leadership, and here we have scripture. And as we can see, both of these are, they're out of proportion if we're, if we're looking at our three-legged stool. And so this is why I believe it is so important for us to look at this from a historical perspective in order to help us understand this has shaped and influenced us. I would like to look at a few models of of how that works. (coughs) Um, I'm sure most of you have seen something like this before. You know, the laity isn't even on this chart. If you are... The laity, you start at the priest, and that's how you get to God. Maybe more interesting for us is the Protestantism view, sola scriptura. We, I have scripture, and I do not need anyone to help me get to God. Now, the problem with these views is that there is some truth in both of them. And we cannot just simply dismiss both of them without taking a good hard look at them because there is some truth in them that we need. It's true. I can come to Christ by myself with Scripture. It's also true that God has put in place, I believe, as we've seen from our scripture this morning and from some of the quotes that we looked at, God has put in place a a structure and an and organism in the body that we work through. <laughs> I'd like to speak a little bit about the body and about cells and systems. Um, Who could tell me what what is the smallest living thing? What do we call that? (laughs) Adam is not living. (laughs) Cell, but can it sustain life? a cell cannot sustain life completely by itself. You take one cell, it cannot sustain life. So, you put cells together and you create an organ in your body. And you put organs in your body together and you create systems, the respiratory system, for an example. And so, what I'd like to propose is that within the body, there are different cells, all of us, and there's also different different systems. And one of those systems is the ordained leadership. Now, there are also cells, and so, in order for the body to work together, those cells that constitute the leadership cannot remove themselves or elevate themselves over the rest of the body. What does Paul tell us? One part cannot tell the other part. Well, you hear the big toe or whatever. In fact, he says some of those parts are more important.) <laughs> Hence, the model that I think fits Scripture best is a model where each of us, together, as a body, we, we come to know God. Can we know God without anybody else being present? Absolutely. But if we do that without ever connecting to another cell and then to another and another we will die a cell cannot consist by itself at the same time I'd like for us to recognize that the episcopate is not outside of the body it is a part of the body In closing, I would, like to, I would like to recognize that many of you, like myself, have probably struggled with, with this whole idea of, of church leadership. In fact, to some degree, on a smaller scale, Many of us have had our own, uh, we've had our own journey of moving from here to here. What I would like for us to consider is simply to balance the three. And I'd like to recognize that culture and society has a huge impact on us. We are influenced, I believe, much more than we realize by secular society, but maybe even more importantly, we are influenced, I believe, much more than we realize by Protestantism, Protestantism, the idea that I can get to God by myself. Sola Scriptura. I'd like to just ask each of us to to consider in our own hearts where we are at, and to to, uh, to to come before God and and to to let him show us what is what is truth in this matter? I'm going to pray and then Keith would you close Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness to us this morning. Father, it is the desire of our hearts to to build, to build your church, Lord, on the confession that you are Christ and that you are Lord. So, Father, I, we, we recognize this morning that sometimes in relationships there are hurts and misunderstandings, and we recognize, Lord, that in history, in our own personal history, sometimes there has been hurts, misconceptions. Father, we just bring this to you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to, to take it. Father, we also recognize that there are cultural pressures upon us that influence us. Lord, we recognize that many of these influences are so subtle, Father, we hardly realize them. But they lead us away from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and that we could see. And that we could see you. Just pray, Lord, that you would give us a biblical understanding of how a body functions. Give us grace and courage to, to work together as a body. I just ask in Jesus' name, Amen.